Happy Father's Day, everyone. All the fathers here. You know, I have uh, not really uh, had uh, any uh, too many, you know, significant gifts, father or birthday or anyone else. But, uh, you know, this one is uh, kind of special. It's kind of special. You see the logo? What does it say? <laughs> Happy Father's Day. It has a logo, BMW. In English, Buhukmo Week. Bato-bato saga sa langit, tamahamog magalit. Even mine is fading away. God has an easier time counting the hairs on my head. He says, I know every hair. For some it is next. For some it is one, two, three, next. Next. Okay. Good morning, everyone. Why is or why are fathers important? Do you believe that fathers are important? Let me share with you some statistics. This is going to compare two fathers. One a godly father, and you will see why. And another not so godly father. The first one is the descendants or the legacy, the family line of Jonathan Edwards. Look at his legacy. One U.S. vice president, three senators, three governors, three mayors, 13 college presidents, 30 judges, 65 professors, 80 public office holders, 100 lawyers, 62 physicians, 70 army or navy officers, 100 clergymen, missionaries, theological professors. There were practically no lawbreakers in his family line. In contrast, here's the family line of a man named Max Duke. Seven murderers, 60 thieves, 128 prostitutes, 140 other convicts, 280 indigents, 440 who were physically wrecked by indulgent living through addiction to alcohol. Out of 1,200 descendants studied, 300 died prematurely, 67 were reported to have contracted syphilis. Moreover, it was estimated that the Duke's descendants cost the state approximately $1,308,000 U.S. dollars. Which family line would you like to be part of? Fathers, I'm speaking to us. What we do affects our family and affects our legacy. Look at the father of that young man. That 21-year-old man who came into a Bible study, sat down with the pastor for more than an hour to announce that he was there to set off a race war. And he pulled out his 45 caliber pistol. And as news reports have it, he reloaded five times. Each of the nine people who died, the first one being the pastor, who was also a state senator, 
were shot multiple times. Now, he would nonchalantly come into a Bible study and inquiring of the pastor, the pastor was quite engaging. But we never know what's going on in the mind of an individual because we are not God. I don't know his family background, how he was raised, what came into his mind to do such a horrific crime, a mass murder. I don't know. I don't even know if his father knew. But if you were the father of that young man, that 21-year-old man, how would you feel? You didn't pull the trigger, but you brought this man into this world. You and your wife. Are fathers important? Are they important? Yes, they are important. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Yes, we're on the Genesis series, but we want to be sensitive to what's going on around us. And it, since it's because it's Father's Day, I want to give to us a Father's Day message. But this message, I want to warn you right off, is not just for fathers. This is for everyone. Let's all stand and read Scripture. We'll be reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 to 14. Read with me from the New American Standard Bible. Verse 12. I am writing to you, little children. I am writing to you, young men. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you know Him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. God Almighty, thank you for your Word. Thank you that we have the freedom to worship you, to read your Word, to study your Word, to spread your Word to anyone willing to listen. God Almighty, speak to us through your Word, through your Holy Spirit. Communicate to us what you want us to listen, what you want us to obey, what you want us to do. God, I confess once again, this message is yours. I am but your messenger. So speak in and through me, Lord God, and speak to all of us, I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. John the Beloved, in his epistles in 1 John, is talking to whom? Let's go back. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. Three generations, little children, young men, mature fathers. You get the idea? Why three generations? Growth is evidence of life. If you are alive, you have no choice but to grow. Understand the picture? Let me repeat. Life, growth is evidence of life. 
And if you are alive, it will be evidenced by growth. So here you have three levels of spiritual maturity. Little children should grow up to become young men who in turn should grow up to be mature fathers in the faith. Right? So it is important to know that we, all of us, all Bible-believing, God-professing followers of the Lord Jesus Christ must know that when the day you became born again, the day that you asked Jesus to come into your life, you are engaged, you are involved in a process of growth. From a little child to a young man to a mature father in Christ. Now take note. He said, I am writing to you, little children. I am writing to you, fathers. I am to you, young men. And in the same breath, he says, I have written to you, children. I have written to you, fathers. I have written to you, young men. Do you think what John the Beloved wants to communicate to us is important? He says, in the present tense, I am writing this to you. And then he also reminds us, I have written these things to you. When you repeat things, it means they're what? Important. In the Old Testament, when you want to emphasize importance, you repeat it. Good, better, best. Those of you who play cards, you know that. Good, better, best. In the Hebrew, you repeat it three times. You repeat the same word three times. So when the Bible in Isaiah chapter 6 speaks about God, he says, holy, holy, holy. Because they don't have superlatives. The way they emphasize the importance is they repeat it. Here now, applying that same principle, John is repeating. He says, I am writing to you little children. I am writing to you young men. I am writing to you fathers. I have written to you children. I have written to you young men. I have written to you fathers. So what's the title of the message this morning? Dad. Very simple. Dad, grow up. I cannot grow up anymore. But I have to grow up spiritually. What's the message this morning? Dad, grow up. Why do we need to learn that we need to grow up? As I said this morning, primarily, this is addressed to fathers. In biblical times, it was a patriarchal society. The command is given to the male because the male is the head. Very seldom are commands given to the wife or the mother. Most of the commands, Father, do this. Why? God expects that as a father, you will obey and it will trickle down to your wife, to your children, to your entire family. Are we on the same page? All right. However, this, as I said, does not only apply to fathers. 
The message this morning to grow up applies to each and every born again disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone needs to grow up. Not just grow old, but to grow up in our faith. Now we know this verse, right? How many of you have Romans 8.28 as your favorite verse? Oh, very. Yes. Can I see a show of hands? Very good. So if this is your favorite verse, it means that you've memorized it, right? So what does it say? <laughs> Just a trick. Now look, it says, For we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Yes? Therefore, does this verse include the bad things that happen to us? Yes. Does this verse include the good things that happen to us? But what do you want? <laughs> we want the good things. Why? We're human beings. We don't like pain. We want joy. We don't want to pay. We want it free. Right? Now, why is this important? Why is growing up important? Because we all don't like pain. Right? We want the good stuff. We don't want the painful stuff. But God, you said, all things will work together for good. So why are you allowing this? Right? Because if we grow up, when we grow up, we will know that there is a connected verse to this. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the image of His Son, so that He would be firstborn among many brethren. So how do we reconcile the two? You and I will be able to accept the good with the bad, the bad with the good, if we know verse 29. If I know and I do know that God has a purpose for allowing even the bad stuff to happen in my life and in your life, then I will readily accept it. Why? Because God has a purpose. And that purpose is to conform me, to shape me, to mold me to the image and likeness of Christ. Therefore, when God allows bad things to happen, I can accept it. Because I know the heart of God is not to hurt or to harm me, but to conform me to the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. You can accept it. You can have trials, all kinds of difficulties, financial, health, relationships. But if you know that God is working because He wants you to be shaped, to become more like Jesus, then you can accept it more as if you don't know verse 29. If you don't know verse 29, if you do not accept verse 29, you will rebel against God. God, why did you allow this? You said all I need to do is accept Jesus Christ and my life will be beautiful. Oh, you have heard that preaching? They're all over the TV. They're all over the radio. Is that true? No. Jesus Christ said, you will have tribulation. But even if I have tribulation, God, you said, that, is, that has a purpose. 
So even if it's going to pain me, Lord God, I will accept it because I know your heart. That takes a lot of maturity to accept that. You agree? Why spiritual growth? What did God give us? Whom did God give us to help us grow? Ephesians chapter 4. And He gave some as apostles, as prophets, evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service. Who is supposed to do the work of service? Ayaw na. Us! Us! Then you point to the pastor. Who is supposed to do the work of service? Us, pastor! No. All of us. The role of your church leaders, the elders, the pastors, the preachers, your D-group leaders, is to equip you, the saints, for the work of service. Why? For the building up, to the building up of the body of Christ. To what end? Until we all... All of us. That's why I said this is not just for fathers. This is not just for mothers. Until we all attain what? The unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So we are all works in progress. But may I submit to all of us Sometimes that becomes an excuse. What's going on with you, brother? Work in progress. Work in progress. How is your relationship with your wife? Work in progress, pastor. Work in progress. 25 years now. Work in progress, pastor. Work in progress. Let us put in our minds that we are in a growth process. We need to grow spiritually. All of us. Not just your pastors. Not just your D-group leaders. So have you read your Bible? Yes, pastor. My wife has read it three times. I'm asking you. All of us must attain to the fullness, to the maturity of Christ-likeness. Not only your leaders. All of us have to attain this. Are you ready? Let's go now to the three levels of spiritual growth. First, the children. How do we know children? Know that they have been forgiven. Okay? That's what John said. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. Not for our sake. For His namesake. That tells me my forgiveness is based on God's grace. Not my abilities. Not what I can do for God. But based on what God has already done for me. Friends, religion will teach you that you had better do something for God so that you have an opportunity to be saved. The Bible tells us Jesus Christ has already done it so that you have the opportunity, assured opportunity, that you can be saved. It is based on Christ. 
The forgiveness that we have is not for our sake. God forgave us for the sake of His name. Who is this God that forgives you of your sins? Are we communicating? What does the Bible say? Why is it important to know that your sins are forgiven? Why? Look at Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is what? But what's the gift of God? And where can you find this gift of God? This gift of God is free. That's why I like the NASB. For, your, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So it is important for you to know that you have been forgiven by God through Jesus Christ. Why? Because if you have not yet encountered Jesus Christ in a personal way, if you have not yet received Jesus Christ, then you are not even counted as the little children. Why? Because you are separated from God because of your sin. That's the word death. Death means separation. For the penalty of our sin is separation from God. But God's free gift is eternal life which is in Christ Jesus. Are we communicating? Yes. How do I know that my sins are forgiven? Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of death consisting of the decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and He has taken it away, out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. According to this passage, how many of our sins have been forgiven? Some of you are not convinced. How many? Past, present, and future? Yes or no? Yes. Oy, pastor, labu naman yan. How did that come to be that my future sins, my past sins, my present sins, my future sins have all been forgiven? Can I see anyone who was here when Jesus Christ was being crucified at the cross? Were you there? Were you alive during that time? Maybe you were out shopping while Jesus Christ was being crucified? So none of us in this room were there. Therefore, all of our sins during the time of His death and resurrection were our future sins, correct? Then can you apply this verse to you? Therefore, all of your sins are forgiven if you are in Christ. How did God remove it? He just take eraser and erase your sins. Yes or no? No. He washed it. He washed it with the blood of Jesus. That's why the, the, the list, that list of all of our sins, past, present, and future, Jesus Christ brought with Him on the cross. He nailed it to the cross. That's why your sins and my sins are forgiven. Amen? We cannot do anything to save us from our sins. Titus 3, 4, 5 says, But the kindness of God our Savior, His love for mankind appeared. That's Jesus Christ. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewing by the Holy Spirit. God forgave us of our sins for His namesake. Not for our namesake. For His namesake. Because God operates on the basis of grace. 
religion operates on the basis of works. Look at the kind of works. Verse 5, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. Righteous deeds still won't pass. Righteous deeds still will not have our sins forgiven. It is only the perfect blood of Christ that brings about the forgiveness of our sins. Little children, I write to you. I am writing to you. I have written to you, little children, because you know your sins have been forgiven for His namesake. And that's why if you are in Christ, if you are born again, you can claim Romans 8.15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out. Ah, ako lang, dito lang, dito lang, dito lang. Dito lang anak ng Diyos. Ha? Kasi ito lang sumagot eh. The, only these people replied. What is that in yellow? Abba, Father. What does that mean? Daddy. Daddy. I don't know what you call your father, kids, or whatever. May I suggest don't call them Papa? Because Papa Ethan, where's Papa Ethan? You have been declared a son, not on your effort. God gave it to you by His grace as you by faith receive Christ. I can call God Daddy. Dad, I have a problem. Dad, I love you. You can also use Galatians 4 verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. You can call God your Father if you have Jesus Christ. You can call on Him anytime, 24-7. Oh, little children, I'm writing to you. Little children, I have written to you. All you know is your sins have been forgiven for His namesake. So if you're a little child in Christ, or if you have a new member to your D group who just got saved like a week ago, please do not ask him to explain the book of Revelation. He is a little child, a little child in the faith because all he knows is one thing, that Jesus Christ died for his sins and his sins have been forgiven. And all he knows when he prays, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. That's all he knows. That his sins have been forgiven. But he's supposed to grow. So what application can we give to little children? Little children, milk the word of God. What do I mean by milk the word of God? You know, in the vernacular, when you say you have to milk it, you have to try to get every last bit, every last ounce, every last drop. And what are you supposed to milk? Get everything that you can possibly draw out from the Word of God. Milk it. Read it. Chew on it. 
Meditate on it. For if you don't, you will not grow. And 25 years later, what is your favorite verse? We all know our favorite verse, right? Jesus wept. Have you not developed anything other than Jesus wept? Yes, pastor. Tumangis si Jesus. He just translated Jesus wept. Grow up. Milk the word of God. Why? Therefore, First Peter writes, putting aside all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander, like newborn babies, long crave for the pure milk of the word. Why? So that by it, you may grow in respect to your salvation. If indeed, you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Little babies need milk. Even if you like to eat T-bone steak, an infant will not be able to eat it. So you start, little children start with milk. And the Apostle Peter is telling us, crave, long for it. When do you read your Bible? Ah, Sunday, Pastor. Why? Because we're going to church. So did you bring your Bible today? No, Pastor. Why? Because you're going to have it on the overhead anyway. Is that craving? Is that longing for the milk of God? Have you read the Bible from cover to cover? Yes, Pastor. So what have you read? Genesis and Revelation. Fast track. So what happened in between? I don't know. All I know is I am saved. I'm going to heaven. I have God as my daddy. Long for the milk of the word of God so that by it you may grow in respect of your salvation. Romans 12 verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. That which is good, acceptable, and perfect. How and where can you find the will of God? In the Bible. How am I supposed to train myself not to follow the world? When I feed my spirit, when I feed my mind, when I feed my soul with the Word of God, I begin to purge. I'm be able to distinguish, to discern that which God approves of and that which God does not approve of. So you have to purge. It's like a glass of water that's dirty. And the faucet is the Word of God. I put the dirty glass underneath the faucet. I turn the water on and let it flow continually. And over time, what you will find in that dirty glass is pure and clear water. You have gotten out the bad stuff. And now, the new stuff of the Word of God is permeating your entire being. Some of us have this as our favorite verse, right? And Jesus was saying to the Jews who had believed Him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And what? You will know the truth. And what will happen? The truth will set you free. So it is important that as little children, we feast, we crave, 
we long for the pure milk of the word of God so that we can grow so that we can grow and when we begin to grow the result is this as a result of our diving into the word of God reading it meditating on it what will happen after time as a result we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men by craftiness in deceit deceitful scheming but speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head even Christ so we're supposed to grow up we're not supposed to stay as we are God will accept us as is where is but he will not allow us to stay as is where is he wants us to grow up so that when we do what God asks us to do, dive into the Word, know, purge the bad, replace it with the good, we will be able to discern, oh, that is a false gospel. That is false teaching. Why? Because I read it in the Word. So from, all I know is, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven. All I know is Daddy, my Heavenly Father. You begin to equip yourself. You begin to grow. And when you grow, you're able to discern. And from becoming, instead of just staying as a little child in the faith, guess what? You will become a young man. You will become a young man. And how did John the Beloved describe a young man? I am writing to you, I have written to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. From just knowing God is my father to being able to fight the devil and not only to fight but to win, to be victorious. He said, I'm writing to you, young men. You have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, young men. You have overcome the evil one. The word overcome means to subdue, to conquer, to prevail, to get the victory. When you are a little child, just a little bump, you'll fall over. Yes? But if you're maturing, you're becoming strong, you're developing spiritual muscles, it's not, you're not easily toppled anymore. As a matter of fact, look at what John is writing. He says, you're becoming an overcomer. You are winning the battles. Jesus Christ has won the war, but you are still in the battle. You have a fight to fight. And as you grow in faith, as you dig deep into the Word of God, you'll be able to grow spiritual muscles and then you'll become an overcomer. You will become victorious. Not right away, but over time, you will become victorious. Look at what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it in a, by keeping it according to your word. With all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Where is God's word? Oh, pastor, I have several Bibles at the house. I have a Greek and Hebrew concordance. 
I have a Bible dictionary. I have it in the NIB, the NASB, the ESB, the NLT, and the BLT. Bacon, lettuce, tomato. You have all kinds of versions of the Bible. What is the psalmist telling us? Where should the word of God reside? Yeah. In our heart, Pastor. It should be in our heart. If you really love the word of God, it will make an imprint in your heart. Look at his question. How can I live a godly life? How can a young man, remember? Young men, you have overcome the evil one. How can a young man keep his way pure? How? By living it according to your word. So the implication is, he already knows the word of God. And how do we know that he already knows the word of God? Thy word have I treasured. Thy word have I cherished in my heart. For what purpose? So that I will not sin against thee. So he's, this man is becoming more and more victorious. Why? He has the word of God. He has the most valuable weapon in the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. The sword of the spirit which is the word of God. And you need the word of God to be able to fight the evil one. He said, young men, you have overcome the evil one. In verse 14, he adds another one. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong. The Word of God abides in you. And because the Word of God abides in you, you have overcome the evil one. Now, what are we supposed to do with God's Word? We said as a little child, we feast on the Word of God. So that we know the Word of God, we are able to purge and to be able to discern what is godly and ungodly. To know God's good will. His pleasing and perfect will. Correct? So now you're equipped. You have the sword of the Spirit. You have memorized the Bible. Huh? Yes. Genesis, Exodus. Yun lang pala. Naintindihan yung mga title lang. Genesis, Exodus. Okay? What are you supposed to do with it? Look. The Word of God abides in you. What does it mean to abide? To abide in practical definition is this. To live in moment by moment obedience to God. Again, it implies that you know the Word of God. Now that you know the Word of God, what should you do? You should apply it. What else should you do? You should obey it. Why? Because look, John, going back, if you continue in my Word, the word continue means abide. If you continue, if you remain, if you abide in my Word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The danger that we have many times is you're stuck as a little child. I'm going to heaven. What do you mean study the Bible? What do you mean join the group? What do you mean go to church? I'm already going to heaven. Heaven is in my heart. Oh, heaven is in my heart. That's it. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to know anything more. Because heaven is in my heart. And God the Father is my daddy. Uh, A-M-E tayo. A-M-E. No. 
It means if you have the Word of God, God expects you to use it, to apply it, so that you will grow from being a child in the faith to being a young man in the faith. The problem with staying as is is this. Okay? Are you ready? Paul writes, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God but because they are foolishness to him. He cannot understand them. Why? Because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Third, and I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you are not yet able. Why? For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not walking like mere men? So you have three kinds of human beings. The first one is the natural man, the one who has totally no relationship with God. The second man, in verse 15, is the spiritual man. He walks by the Spirit of God. The third man is the carnal man. He claims to have a personal relationship with Christ, but he does not obey Christ. It's not normal for a Christian, a genuine born-again Christian, it is not normal for this person not to grow. You have to involve 56 years old I am. If I go with my family to the restaurant, sir, it's Father's Day. We have a Father's Day special. We have a ribeye with a salad, clam chowder soup, baked potato. <laughs> Would you like to try our special, sir? Uh, no, can you just give me some uh, Gerber? Apricot. If you don't mind. And can I have the water in a milk baby bottle? It's not normal. In the spiritual context, it is exactly the same. How dare we think that just because we pray the prayer and just because that we are already in Christ, that we have no responsibility to grow up. God expects us to grow up. God wants us to grow to the fullness of the mature man in Christ. Stop being fleshly, but be spiritual. Now, don't think that because you know so much of the Bible that you are now wise. Look at what Job 32 says. The abundant in years may not be wise, nor may elders understand justice. Just because you have been a Christian for many, many years, my friends, does not mean that you are wise. Perhaps you are knowledgeable. Perhaps you know so much of the Bible. But wisdom is knowledge properly applied. So it is no good for you to know everything there is to know about the Bible, but you are not willing to obey. Please do not call yourself wise. You can call yourself knowledgeable. How do I know? 
Oh, I know so many things about the Bible. So are you applying it? Just ask my wife. Ay, nakka. Then you will know. Look at the warning. The abundant in years may not be wise, nor may elders understand justice. That's why in your D groups, we challenge you to teach. In the pulpit, we challenge everyone here to preach for what? Life change. Do not teach. Do not preach for information. We have enough information already. We have the Bible. What should we do with the Bible? Read it and obey it. Don't say, I've been a Christian for 15 years already. CCF was not even an idea yet. I am already a Christian. So why, why does your wife want to divorce you? Ah, because she does not read the Bible. You understand what I'm trying to say? We have to grow up. Stop relying on your knowledge of the Bible. Begin to apply it. It is better that you know little, but the little that you know, you apply. Rather than you claim you know so much, but you're not willing to apply. Look at this. Hebrews 5. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. He says he has all the equipping in the Bible. But in reality, in practice, he is still a child. He cannot accept solid food. He still needs milk. So what application can I leave with the young men in the faith, the young men and women in the faith? May I suggest as children, milk, take everything from the word of God. May I suggest that young men, young women in the faith model obedience. There is no substitute for learning the word of God by obedience. Hebrews 5, for everyone who partakes not only of milk is accustomed to the word of righteousness for he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have their senses, what? Trained to discern good and evil. Look at the first yellow phrase, because of practice. Second Chronicles tells us to obey is better than sacrifice. Stop leaning on your knowledge. Apply your knowledge to make it true in your life. And then when you begin to grow up by practicing it, guess what? You will have your senses trained to discern what is good and what is evil. Then your spiritual growth will continue to go up. You will hit some bumps in the road but you will continue to grow up. Don't be satisfied. I already know the Bible. I already am following the Bible. I know what is good. I know what is bad. But do you put it into practice? You have to grow up. We have to grow up. What's the third? The third, fathers. How did John describe fathers? Fathers know him who is from the beginning. 
Little children know that they've been forgiven for His name's sake. Young men are strong, becoming stronger, overcoming the evil one. But fathers in the faith know Him who is from the beginning. 1 John 12:13. I am writing to you fathers because you know Him who has been from the beginning. Fathers have grown up. Not only do they know that they are saved and forgiven, not only have they delved deep into the Word of God, not only have they come to love the law of God and obey it in their lives, they love God. Some people love the law. They love Bible studies. They love the law. And they will fight with you tooth and nail about what the law says. This is the problem of the old time religious people in the time of Jesus. Judaism. They love the law. If you watch the movie, The Passion of Christ, and all those movies, the debate between the high priest, what is he saying? But we have the law. They keep on going back. We have the law. God gave the law to Moses. Moses gave it to us. We have the law. So instead of loving God, whom do they love? They love the law. Fathers, love God for who He is. He's come to faith. He's developed into a strong young man. And he has learned not merely to obey God's word for the sake of obedience. He knows God intimately. He knows God personally. And he obeys because he loves God. He doesn't merely obey because Pastor Danny will call him. Because Pastor Insong will call him. Or Pastor Reggie will call him. You don't even need to remind him. Why? Because he has come to that point that he loves God. The word know in the Greek is ginosko, which means to know by experience. I know President Obama here. I know him, I know of him. But I do not genosco him. I do not know him by experience because I have not met him. Fathers in the faith know him who has been from the beginning. Religious people of the time of Jesus loved the law. They didn't care about God the Father. They preferred to love the law rather than to love God. Their lives revolved around the law. Their lives did not revolve around the giver of the law. So application. Fathers, fathers who have known him from the beginning, multiply your legacy. You don't want to keep that to yourself, do you? You have discovered the God of the Bible, not just the Bible, but the God of the Bible. Don't you want to share that? Look at what Moses tells us. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach teach you. That you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it. So that you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord to keep all his commandments which I am, which I am commanded you all the days of your life 
and that your days may be prolonged. How many generations? I already highlighted it. Question pa ba yun? You, your son, your grandson. At least three generations. Why don't I count Moses? Because Moses was not allowed to cross over into the promised land. So he's giving his final remarks. Okay, you're going to cross. This is what you should do. For you, for your son, for your grandson. Generational living. Next. Oh Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God and the Lord is one. What's the first command? You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. The motivation, our motivation, my motivation to obey God should be because I love God. I should love God. First and foremost, I should love God. And it works backward. If I love God, I will read His Bible so that I don't stay as a little child in the faith. Because God wants me to grow up to the measure of my full man in Christ. So that I can be a spiritual father. Someone who has known Him from the beginning. And He writes, these words which I'm commanding you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit down in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When you teach, teach diligently. But may I suggest the most effective way of teaching is by modeling. Look, you teach, sit down and teach. That's one. But look, talk to them when you sit down in your house. When you're walking, by the way. When you're lying down, maybe about to sleep, maybe you pray as a family. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your head. You shall write them on the doorposts of your gates. Make it so obvious. Make the word of God obvious in your life, in your home, in your family. Now the Jews put this to the extreme. So you will see the Orthodox Jews, they have this. They have leather wrapped around the hand. They have frontals like dice. Dalawa. Here. Then they have prayers, y'all. They have brought the rituals to the extreme. What is God saying? Leave it out. I was in Ben Gurion International Airport some years ago. My wife and I were privileged to be sent to Israel. So, in the side of my eye, I saw this group. They have all of these the phylacteries. They have the four, the frontals, they have the prayer shawl, they have they will not pray without the leather strap in their hand. So I asked, oh, excuse me, what are they doing? 
Oh, they're praying. Wow, really? Yes, because the Bible says that you are to pray with your entire being. Is that really what God wants to do? Is that what God really wants for us to do? They missed the point. They have begun to love the law over their love for God. They have elevated the law over God. God never intended it to be that way. That's why He tells us, you, your son, and your grandchildren. Multiply your legacy, fathers. You've come to know Him in a real, intimate, and personal way. Share that with your wife. Share that with your children so that you will be able to leave a godly legacy. My children have nothing to look forward to in terms of material inheritance. Sorry. At least I will not leave you with debts. But if I am able to leave a godly legacy that they will pass on the way they live out their Christianity to their children and to their children, I can die happy. Paul echoes the words of Moses. You therefore, my son, be strong. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. How many generations? Four. Paul to Timothy to faithful men to others. A father in the faith, one who knows him who was from the beginning, will make it his life goal to pass down a godly heritage to his children and Lord willing to his children's children. Fathers, know him who is from the beginning. Young men have overcome the evil one. Little children only know that they have been forgiven. Little children, if that's you, draw every ounce from the Word of God so that you will be able to discern what is good and what is evil. Young men in the faith, it is better for you to start obeying the Word of God rather than just by keeping on studying the Word of God. Unless you apply it, you will not grow. You will not become strong. You will not become overcomers. As you mature in the faith, from a little child who knows only daddy, from someone who's beginning to overcome, fight with the devil, with the Word of God, with the Holy Spirit, you will mature into a father who will multiply your legacy. Dad, grow up. Almighty God, we thank you. We thank you that you have we have your word that is a light to our feet and a lamp to our path. God, thank you for reminding us this Father's Day 
that you want all of your little children who have come to know you as their daddy to mature, to become a young person in the faith who is learning to overcome the evil one, to obey you by knowing your word. And then you want all of us to mature into the kind of spiritual father that obeys your word simply because we know you, simply because we love you, that we are under no obligation except to love you. God, I pray that you will speak to everyone here, that through your Holy Spirit, you will speak to them where they are in those three stages of spiritual growth, and that you will meet them, Lord God, that you will encourage them. If there's someone here who is not yet in a D group, the D group is there to help you. If there is someone here who does not yet know God as their spiritual father, today could be the day of your salvation. Cry out to him, Abba, Father, will you save me from the penalty of my sins? And I accept Jesus into my life as my personal Lord and Savior. For the rest of us, just ask God, God, where am I? And where do you want me to be? Tell me, Lord, and I will follow thee. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Happy Father's Day, everyone.